When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have another preseason edition of The Deciding Point, where we break down our top 10 Division I men's and women's college tennis teams heading into the 2024 college tennis season. Of course, as you can see, when you clicked on the episode, we have reached our top four in our preseason rankings. And I think it's safe to say, Every team from here on in, they've got national championship aspirations in the upcoming season. And what we plan to do on today's show is discuss how likely it is that these teams will achieve those aspirations. The way we can frame that for all of you listeners is by describing not just what these teams have accomplished last season, but of course, what these teams have accomplished over the past five years, the past 10 years. Where do these programs sit in the broader hierarchy of college tennis entering the 2024 season. Of course, from there, we can break down their rosters. There is so much talent still across the college tennis universe. Each of these top four teams obviously have that talent in abundance. What we want to do on these podcasts is break things down, talk about the returners, the new additions, who had the big summers on the pro circuit, who had the big falls in the college tennis world. We want to break down, of course, these singles lineups, doubles lineups, talk MVPs, inflection points in the schedule ceiling, floor, and so much more. Again, the purpose of this exercise is to ensure that all of you college tennis fans feel adequately prepared for the start of another thrilling season in the college tennis universe. And so on today's show, we are going to break down our preseason number four team heading into the 2024 Division I women's college tennis season. And joining me on tonight's show to talk about our preseason number four, the Texas A&M Aggies, is of course the man who has joined me on each and every one of our Division I women's top 10 preview podcasts, a man you all know best as the returning champion of returning champions here on our Crack Racket show. Of course, my co-host of the deciding point, not just in the preseason, but during the regular season, postseason, and summer as well. Of course, he's also the founder of the No Ad, No Problem blog and podcast, one of my dearest friends. It's John J. Parsons joining me on the podcast once again. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. I've never asked you this before. Does anyone else in life call you Jay, or is it just us here in the college <laughs> tennis universe? No, it is just people in the college tennis universe, and if you know, you know, and that hasn't, <laughs> hasn't ex- ex- ever extended outside of this inner circle. I guess I've never asked this of you, and I probably should have off mic. Do you mind that I call you Jay? Like, it doesn't upset you, does it? No, it doesn't upset me, particularly because my Twitter is Jay Tweets Tennis. John <laughs> Tweets Tennis was too long. Uh, there's a, a longer history behind it. And again, if sure. you know, you know. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been given. So I, my name is John, and <laughs> it is a very common name, particularly of my vintage. It was, the, I think, the number one name in the year I was born, a nice biblical name. And there were nine, I went to Catholic school growing up, there were nine Johns in my class of like 56. And so we all just went by our last names. And then we would go by initials. And so I've been given lots of different nicknames over the years. Jay is custom and bespoke to the college tennis universe. I'm going to cut that clip and use that moving forward. My name is John. (laughs) That was really funny. Um, Yeah, look, you're talking to an Alex, my friend. There's the only people who call me Alex are my mom and dad. And, you know, again, other than it's A uh, for my older brother, A G sometimes for my younger brother. I don't know why he includes the G as we're both Gruskins, but yeah. 
I, I don't know anyone who calls. Usually, <laughs> I'm going to give a little spoiler alert here. If a girl, a girl, a young woman calls me Alex, that's typically how I know, oh, they might be interested in me because they didn't call me Gruskin. <laughs> and like usually it's just Gruskin uh, pretty uniformly around the around the book. And by the way, that makes sense because I'm fine with that. There are a lot of Alexes out there. There's only one Gruskin unless I'm hanging out with my brothers. And then there's three Gruskins in any given moment. And that's when you start to differentiate. But yeah, his name is John. My name is Alex. And we record a show about college tennis. And what we want to do on today's podcast, of course, is again, continue our preseason top 10 countdown. No opening tangent for all of you listeners today. We're ready to get right to the business as it relates to number four, Texas A&M. And John J. Parsons, you know this well. This has been a program that I have had my eye on very closely over the course of the past two seasons as they have slowly but surely tried to make that transition, dare I say, from new blood to blue blood in the college tennis universe. And certainly one could argue this has been a decade run. Now for this Texas A&M roster, and what do I mean by that? Well, you got to go all the way back to 2011, 2012, and 2013 to really discuss the beginning of this run. You go back to that 2011 season, 15-9 and overall. They lose NCAA first round. 2012, a really impressive 19-6 and overall record, still knocked out in the NCAA second round. But of course, then you had the culmination of it all. And of course, at the time, it was Howard Joffe, now the head coach at Texas, his assistant, a man by the name of Mark Weaver, who of course is now the head coach here at Texas A&M. That 2013 team, 26-4 and overall. They make the lone NCAA finals appearance in Texas A&M women's tennis program history. And look again, it's pretty clear this Texas A&M team has been a top 16 program ever since. In fact, they've made the NCAA round of 16 or further in six of the last eight events. Obviously, you look more recently in this pandemic era, as I like to call it, 2021, 21 and 8 overall. They reached the NCAA round of 16. 2022, 33 and 2 overall. They were your SEC champions, your SEC tournament champions, and dare I say, a Tatiana Makarova rolled ankle away from maybe competing for an NCAA championship once again in Champaign. I think that team was that good. I spent all last year saying you play that NCAA tournament 10 times. I swear to God, Texas A&M walks away with one of the titles. I'll tell you what, if you play the 2023 season, not 10 times, but 100 times, Do I think North Carolina and North Carolina State are walking away with at least 90 of those NCAA championships? I do, but in at least one of those scenarios, Jay, Carson Brandstein, the All-American, stays healthy for A&M last season, and man, I do wonder how good this team could have been last year had she been healthy from start to finish because, of course, even with an unhealthy Carson, this team finished 30-3. and Overall in the year, they were your regular season SEC champions. They advanced to another final site, reaching the NCAA quarterfinals before ultimately being knocked out by Stanford. This was a team that, again, was really good from start to finish all season long. A team that I would argue still played, don't get mad at me, NC State fans, but I will say to my dying day, the best match I saw of the 2023 season, men's or women's, was the national indoor semifinal between Texas A&M and UNC, a match UNC ultimately won, but God was the level just sensational from start to finish in that match. And I do think the NCAA final between NC State and UNC probably matched it at the very least, but... Other matches may have been as good. I guess what I should say is no match was better than that NCAA, uh, that, that National Indoor semifinal between A&M and UNC, which, by the way, was the last time we saw Brandstein at all compete healthily, dare I say, in the lineup for A&M last season. And yet again, even without those injuries, uh, even with that injury, Jay, this was a team with Mary Stoyana making a massive leap as a sophomore with, you know, experienced returners like J.C. Goldsmith and transferring in Selma Ewing. This was a team with a lot of depth, a lot of experience. They did work in some relatively young newcomers as well. Kupris, Morales, Smetanikov throughout the course of the year as well. So it was fascinating. You really did have, dare I say, two 
distinct rosters or two different planes of existence, the players who had four, five years of experience in college tennis versus those relative new faces for A&M. And yet again, through it all, they were able to find a ton of success. If you know, you know that Tennessee round of 16 match that A&M won was certainly one of the best matches we had of the super regional set. With all of that context in mind, again, where AM has been, again, these last three years, round of 16, quarterfinals, quarterfinals, national indoor semifinalists as well, conference champions, you say overperformance, underperformance, or just right for the Aggies in 2023? Depends on what you're evaluating against. If you're looking at the start of January, it's probably an underperformance because I think the biggest question that lingers for this team is what if Carson Branstein doesn't get injured? That's really unfortunate. I actually think if she was healthy, I don't think UNC and NC State run away with 90 of the 100. Like, I think they're right there. And I think losing her, not only in, on the singles uh, court where she probably would, would, would have been playing two, but in doubles as well, she and Mary Stoyana were undefeated at number one when she ultimately got injured I think it was a big blow it was a huge testament to this team that they got back to the quarterfinals and went back to back but I mean Carson Branstein when healthy is a top 25 singles player in the country they lost her that's the biggest question that looms over this team and it's too bad because certainly you mentioned the Makarova ankle turn the playing indoors as well in 2022 that was something that they would have not liked to have done They've had some hard breaks in both of these past two seasons. So I think you could make an argument that it was just right, but I know the expectations were much higher. I think if they had Carson in the lineup, things would have gone differently. So that's why I actually think it was an underperformance. And I think it's I think it's disappointing for college tennis fans because we saw what that looked like at indoors, and it's too bad we didn't get a, a repeat at, in outdoors. I think you either go just right or asterisk for this group. I don't think you can say underperformance given the injury because, to your point again, yes, they lose that UNC match, only two other matches the rest of the way. They lose to Georgia in the conference tournament. They lose doubles, which, again, to your point, you know, Brandstein and Stoyana didn't lose, period. Right. I, not didn't lose, but they were as good as any doubles. No, team. they didn't lose last year. Yeah, but I'm saying like to assume <laughs> they wouldn't have lost sure, is too far sure. of a stretch because it's one set no ad scoring. But yeah, literally didn't lose last yeah. year when they were healthy together. And it was an eye test thing where you were like, oh my God, like Brandstein's power. Stoyana is usually the best player on the court, period, and can fill in all the holes to let Brandstein kind of cook and swing freely. It was a really fun team. And, you know, the best part of that is then you were able to push Ewing, Goldsmith, down to the number two doubles position. You were yeah. able to have Kupris kind of be a floating free agent at three and really work her magic. And again, her and Pilette. Were they undefeated at the number three spot? Certainly they were very, very good uh, before that injury to Brandstein forced the doubles teams to shift. But again, why do I bring up the significance of that injury and perhaps otherwise assume asterisk? They lose the Georgia match. They lose doubles. They lose five. They lose six. You know where you feel an injury most? With your depth at five and six. And again, Kowalski beats Smetanikov in three. Like it was still, they were still extraordinarily competitive, but you know, they lose their... Against Stanford, uh, they lose the doubles. Again, Blokina wins in three at four. Shu wins in straight sets at five. And Sarah Choi was up seven, six, five, three at six. Now, again, I'm not ascribing that loss directly to Brandstein not being there, but you just have to wonder. Everyone pushes down a spot. The idea of J.C. Goldsmith at five last year when she was already that good at four, like... That sound you hear for a second straight podcast, folks, that's my jaw on the ground, just wondering what might we have had if this team was healthy all season long. And again, it just pisses me off because <laughs> this team has been that good this last two years. And if anything, maybe that's the argument for overperformance last year is like even with those losses, they still just lost two matches the rest of the way to two teams who made the semifinals of the NCAA tournament. And in losing those matches, you felt her absence more than anything. So again, I'm going asterisk or overperformance, but I'm buying whatever sauce, Mark Weaver, Jordan Zabo, whatever they're selling down in College Station. Uh, to, to get back to my theme of setting the scene, Jay, 
they've gone from new blood to blue blood, right? Like, that's a damn good decade for AM 2013 through 2023 or 11 years, 10 years, if you want to take out 2020. Like, they are a top 16, dare I say, a top 12 program. Like, they've kind of proven that that's where they belong. Yeah, they've established themselves as a mm-hmm. perennial top team. Yeah. I wouldn't. I would not say blue blood yet. Yeah, not yet. That they had, is yeah, certainly yeah. A, an echelon that they have yet to reach. Uh, but absolutely, I mean, they have over these past few years, we've seen the recruiting in particular has mm-hmm. been outstanding at Texas A&M, bringing in players like, I mean, Carson was a transfer, bringing her in, Salma Ewing is a transfer, Mary Stoyana. I mean, that's an incredible get for them now. So they've continued to bring in, and we'll talk about the players they have this season as well. So the recruiting has been outstanding. And you feel like these things that have happened these past two seasons were outside. uh, They were the uncontrollables. And unfortunately, those hit them in places that really hurt at times that really hurt. And you feel like eventually there's going to be things that are going their way or those uncontrollables hit other teams at different times. So you feel really good about the momentum and the progress this team is making the back to back quarterfinals, certainly the solidification and to reflect back on those two great years where they were undefeated in SEC play for two consecutive years, something that they had never done. They'd never gone undefeated ever uh, in the conference. So you feel like the momentum is in the right in the right way. Absolutely. And look, this is a team that takes some serious losses, not just Brandstein. Obviously, Selma Ewing, they only had for, more, for one year, but you know, she's a top 50 player for the majority of her college tennis career, so you're going to feel that absence. But more than anything, the through line of the past decade, half decade, excuse me, because she was literally there for all five years, J.C. Goldsmith, who, by the way, here are the records she leaves up departing Texas A&M. She's ranked as high as number two in the doubles rankings with Tatiana Makarova, as high as number 46 in the singles rankings, 32-9 and nine last year in singles, 31-11 and 11 in doubles. But here are the big numbers, folks. Single season singles win percentage. She set that record in 2012. Total career singles wins. She walks away number one in Texas A&M history. Total career doubles victories. She walks away number one in Texas A&M history. And yes, she had four and a half years. We'll call 2020 that half year. Four and a half years to set those records. But guess what, Jay? She set those records. Like, it's one thing to have the opportunity to catch it. She caught it. She surpassed it. She's the gal as it relates to Texas A&M women's tennis. You're going to feel those losses significantly. But it's worth noting, Stoyana's back. Kupris is back. Smetanikov is back. Morales is back, and all four of those players, Stoyana's in a different category than those three, and we'll talk about her in a second, but more importantly, Kupris, Smetanikov, and Morales, they all got real reps last year. Like They were all forced to play in significant moments, and they were all relied upon on various times to be the player that got over the finish line for these Aggies. Like, yeah, they lose some significant pieces, but just on its surface value, that's a really good core four. And I didn't mean to exclude Gianna Pilet, who has been a contributor now in doubles for each of her first two seasons in and out of the singles lineup. Like, surface value right there, that's a good core to bring back before we even talk new pieces, Jay. Well, it certainly does feel like a turning of the page. So Mary Stoyana had her breakout season last year really a sophomore surge to finish the year number two in the country, but it still didn't feel like her team. She was playing number one, but it did feel like JC Goldsmith's team being the fifth year and bringing in experienced players like Asalma Ewing, but it felt like JC's team and she felt like the leader and the captain of that team, certainly. So this does feel like a turning of the page. It does feel like a new era of Texas A&M women's tennis. It's obviously very helpful to have the number one player in the country now in Mary Stoyana to usher in that new era. We'll see about the other pieces of the returners. I think having the reps, certainly they have been battle tested at the bottom half of the lineup. Uh, Smetanikov is still going to be a lower classman. She's only a sophomore this season. Morales certainly has gotten her reps in there at now being a junior but there's a reason they brought in new pieces, and the reason is that they ha- did have very big shoes to fill. Yeah, and let's talk about the Stoyana piece first before we get to the new additions. And then actually, I just want to talk about these returns a little bit longer. I mean, Mary's preseason number one. 
Like Mary is your ITA All-American champion, and obviously Mary was elite last season. Not good, not great. Mary Stoyana, despite a first-round NCAA singles loss, she was elite throughout the course of her sophomore season in dual match play. You look at what she was able to do. And again, we mentioned the schedule. AM played last year all the SEC matches that they got to play, three serious foes at the National Indoors, again, NCAA quarterfinalists, all those different things. She was 38-6. and 38-6. and six. That's the second-best win percentage single season uh, in program, I believe, history, or maybe she did that in 2022 still. Oh, yeah, 34-4 and four last year uh, as a freshman, 38-6 this past year, so that's what she's 72-10, and 10, Jay, through her first two years. She had 21 victories, including eight top 25 victories, her highest coming against number three, Leah Ma, 11-0 win singles during her SEC campaign, 9-1 in doubles with Cooperus, and again, when she she was asked to go play that number two spot, change doubles partners. Her and Cooper still had plenty of success throughout the course of the season. I mean, Stoyano was ranked as high as number two in both singles and doubles last season. And to see her have the pro summer that she did where there was serious success at the ITF level and then to see her come in and, you know, again, win the ITA All-Americans right away, you know, the question I'm going to ask, Jay, She's a top five candidate for the gal entering the 2024 season. Like, she's the gal. I don't know how else to say it. Like, it's it, it's been legitimized. You do that for 12 months, you have all of our attention. Yeah, a top five feels even too loose. Like, I yeah. top three, top two. I mean, she is sure. She is absolutely up there and again you know we talked about on the last podcast you know kajuru at iowa state now at oklahoma state having the 2023 she had mary stoyana is in that conversation sure. right with what she did you just listed off her 2023 stats and then to solidify it become the first player in texas a&m history to win all american first player in texas a&m history to be number one her 2023 year end scorecard fantastic and so she certainly carries that momentum into 2024. And you mentioned it, the ITF playing at the U.S. Open this summer. So she has solidified herself as one of a very, very shortlisted best players in college tennis. One thousand percent. And there's just something you can't quantify I mean, I guess you can in wins and losses, but you just can't quantify to that confidence that trickles down to every other player on the roster. It's tangible. And if you've been around this game long enough, you know when a team feels like they have the best player in the country, it's just like, you know, again, at six, you're like, well, I know Mary's going to win, so I feel a little less pressure. At five, well, I know Mary's going to help it, or at two doubles, you're like, well, Mary and whoever they're playing, they're going to win. So we just need to win one of these next two sets. And like, you can say that legitimately given the success that she has had across the board to back it up. It's also worth noting, not that I wouldn't say this about like every player in the country at this point. Let me just say, you never hear me say, oh, I hate this player. I don't do that <laughs> anymore. Um, she's the sweetest girl in the world. Like, I don't know. I don't know what the case would be against Mary Stoyana. Like, just polite. Like, I just feel like she is someone all teammates would look towards as like that example. Like, again, just gets the work in, gets the W's. I would go to war with Mary Stoyana. That's just someone you want on your team. Hot take, Alex. She's the preseason number one. But I would want her as my number one. Like, that is just a fantastic tone setter, a delightful human being. And again, she's one of four returners. And here's what I want to ask you next as I frame it to her. Not four returners, but one of multiple returners. But what I want to frame next, the other names I've mentioned. Didn't see a ton of the Aggies this fall. Um, you know, I, the stats are a little bit belated, I think, but what I have, the number in front of me is Smetanikov was 2-2. Two and two. Um, Pilet, 0-1. Morales, 0-1. Kupris, 4-2. Now, again, we're going to talk so about... So let me update those, though, because yeah, we should call out the 2023 stats not updated for Texas no bueno. A&M. They're only through, like, October. 11th. But Day of my bar mitzvah, yeah. shout out. Shout out also to the ITA, where yes. I have now several times this season been able to go to because right when we do these uh episodes we're often in this weird limbo where you'll click on stats and you'll get maybe the 2024 stats you're like oh i really want to see the full season stats but they haven't archived those yet right and we're in this limbo i've gone to the ita and i've been able to pull the numbers for their fall results miralis five and four Pilet six and six 
Smetanikov, seven and five. So those are the updated numbers for those three in particular. Will you say it one more time, Jay? Shout out to the ITA. Just say it one more time. Shout out to the ITA. Yeah. <laughs> and that came from his name's John, in case you were yeah. curious. ITA. That's, that's, a, that's a note from John from afar. Um, yeah, shout out to the ITA. They have done significant. Like Stoyana, nine and one. She's number one in the country for what it's worth. You look at the other ranked Aggies, and we're going to talk about Mia Coopers in a second. She's twenty six. We'll talk about Nicole Kieran, one of the new additions, in a second. She's thirty one. But I want to focus on those three names that you uh, that we've been talking about: Morales, Smetanikov, Pilet. There's a lot of new talent coming in here to A and M. Players who, again, will expect to play right away. Of those three, who do you think is most important to the 2024 Aggies? Well, that's a spoiler into my inflection point. And for mm. me, it's hands down Smetanikov. Yep, yep, yeah. I mean, we need to have a Smetanikov conversation. So let's start <laughs> it now. So she, I would say, burst onto the scene in specifically that ITA indoor semifinal match against the Yarlagata. The Yarlagata match will go down in history as one of those like, what the f- did we just watch like 100%. how was that six singles like sorry not to I didn't mean to cut you off and steal your thunder but I couldn't agree with you more and this is why I wanted to have the Smetanikov conversation because holy f-ing shit, did she hit the crap out of the ball in that match and you were just like oh my god like is this the best player in the country am I watching like Am I watching a male Alcaraz, a female Alcaraz? Like, what are we doing here right now? I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, shot out of a complete cannon. And I think we were all taken aback. And it it sl- quickly came back down to earth in the second set. And, you know, <laughs> like it was a roller coaster ride yeah. to be sure. But that, I think, is where a lot of us remember her from. Mm-hmm. And she was a freshman, really first time on the national stage. And I felt like she embodied a lot of what that entire Texas A&M team had, which was just athleticism. And I just remember being like, this is a team of incredible athletes. Unfortunately for that team, they didn't get a chance to show that athleticism. That Stanford match, for example, at night, they would have much preferred to play that during the day. But Smetanikov, that match, the incredible level she showed in the first set and then the the floor dropping out in the second set we saw that throughout the season and so for me the reason why i actually think she is so critical for this team is because i think she needs to take that sophomore jump the athleticism the tools are absolutely there but the inconsistency that we saw her freshman season that will could be an achilles heel for this team if she doesn't shore it up clearly the skills and the talent are there but i didn't see it this fall so i'm waiting for that solidification yeah you look for dasha last year 19 and 9 in singles in the rookie campaign 14 and 7 in dual match play good like good. it's it's good it's not great and Again, that transition from six to five, everything just got a little bit tougher for her Mm -hmm. as the year progressed. But, like, again, I'm sorry to continue to swear. You watched that semifinal match, and all you could think to yourself is, what the f***? Like, what did they just find? Like, what is this, uh, shout out Adam Sandler, uncut gem that we have here at the number six spot? This re-embodiment of Tatiana Makarova, who, by the way, is on the sideline coaching her. And you're just like, are we doing this again? Like, it got to the point where you had to ask yourself, like, is Mark Weaver the best recruiter right now in the country? Because where is he find like... A&M's got a type. They've got these ridiculous athletes, and we're just going to teach them how to play tennis. And like, well, shout out Jordan Sasbo on the recruiting as well. Elite, elite, probably the best, best women's assistant at recruiting. I mean, there's a reason he was the assistant of the year. Yeah, like again, it's they've got a type, and it was just, it was so jaw dropping. I just like, I couldn't agree with you more in that. And look, she like. It was an uninspiring summer, dare I say, an uninspiring like fall campaign in the sense that yeah. I saw her in, in uh, San Diego because she was young enough to play the USDA Girls 18s Nationals. I think she made round of 16 there, which is fine. Like, that's a decent showing. But, like, 
I thought she was going to come in there with her power and just overwhelm everyone. And that wasn't the case. And again, finding that consistency, sustaining that level, even if it's not the peak level, but holding at 85% from start to finish, that's a three singles player. That's a four singles player. Like that is a really good singles player. Someone who does have one or two upside in the future, maybe not there right now. I'm talking again about the 85% version. If we can just get that from Smetanikov, a little less power, a little bit more consistency. Like I have no doubt Dasha's the real deal. I, I, I do think she's someone you have to circle as a sophomore slump or a sophomore surge candidate because, and this would be the last piece, I think we're only going to get the extremes. And I like I mean that in the best possible sense. Like her game just streams screams extreme. Like everything about it is big. It's in your face. It's accentuated. And I just like how do you how do you it's like putting a muzzle on a shotgun, right? You're like I don't want to do that. I want to let the shotgun shoot. I don't know why I'm going with gun references here. I'm not a gun guy, Jay, but you you get what I'm saying, right? It's just like it's this explosiveness it's the perfect mold of clay, and you're just like, how do I get this into the perfect number three or four singles player like this year? Because she has that in her game. Yeah, well, I planted the seed with the shot out of a cannon, so that's probably yeah. where the gun references are coming from. Yeah, but look, and all it's of the that Aggies, is- and like we're gigging them in yeah. Texas. Yeah, there you go. All of that is true, but I mean, we're like oddly holding on to a match that at this point almost happened a, a year ago. Yeah, but- and you know. It's concerning, right, that we didn't see that throughout the rest of the season, the summer, the fall. So we'll have to see. Yeah, like I felt all that stuff when I was watching that match of like, wow, she can really be like a number one player down the line. It's going to take time. And I'm very curious to see how she shows up in January, February, because they're really going to need her. And we'll get into that more, but yeah, they are really needing her. Yeah, it will be fascinating to watch. And again, no disrespect to Morales. It's just a little bit more consistent. Like, I kind of know Jeanette Morales, and I feel like that's a player— She's a year older, so we've seen a year more of her. Sure. Well, fine. Introduce facts to the argument, Jay. Don't let me just go by feelings and vibes like the kids like to do nowadays. Um, Yeah, I mean, again, it's not meant to be— disrespectful to Morales or Pilate, but just like upside. You, you, you know upside when you see it. And the longer I've been around this game, the thing you realize you can't fake is weaponry. And we've just seen a degree of weaponry from her that screams, again, that's enough. Probably. That was the Smetanikov conversation I really wanted to have here today. Um, but I think, yeah, she is the swing player because honestly, like to get to the last returner we haven't talked about, and we probably should have spent more time on her, Mia Kupris was really good as a freshman. Fantastic and like, freshman season. Yeah, like just underrated the uh, sophomore now out of Edmonton, Alberta, last season, 19-4 and four in dual match play. Got wins over Daria Kutzer in big moments and to outgrind the Tennessee veteran. Like, again, to be able to do that, such a significant thing, was asked to step up to the number two double spot uh, after the Brainstein injury. And again, her and Coopers were exceptional the rest of the way. I still, like, okay. And I mean this with respect. I still think Smetanikov's upside is higher. Like, and that's why it was worth having that conversation because, like, I think Mia Kupris is really good. And I, like, I don't see a hole in the game. She's a fighter, but I just don't see the overwhelming weapons in that sense. And that's why it's like the upside play is Smetanikov. The winning play, and I mean that in the sense of like consistency, is Kupris. But man, that was a fascinating freshman class and a really good twosome to build around. Well, and that was the exciting part of that match in Seattle, the indoors, was to see them. And I hadn't seen Cooper's play. She was a January edition. And I remember sitting behind her horse playing Abby Forbes in that match. And Forbes ended up clinching it. And I remember like, my God, like Cooper's like, she's so complete. Like she's just, she's coming in as a freshman. I'm like, she is an incredible athlete. Beautiful strokes, but yeah, maybe lack some of those weapons, but there's no holes in that game. And there was a coach sitting behind me and he was like, yeah, duh, like uh, we all (laughs) wanted her. And I was just like, well, sorry, I'm seeing her for the first time. So like, yeah, she's really good. And yeah, they they have different compliments for sure. And, you know, indoors, outdoors, you might 
look at them differently, but she had a fantastic season. She's an incredibly complete player. Beautiful strokes. Uh, kind yeah. of ba- kind of baby Mary, uh, uh, Mary Stoyana, in the sense of like, I kind of saw the similarities. Like I saw, and obviously, again, similar size, like similar height, is what I mean by that. But like the completeness in the sense that like, I don't know what I'm attacking. I don't know what the clear-cut game plan is to beat either one of them relative to the spots they were playing at. Like, complete's the best word. I just think Mia Kupras came into college very, you know, very prepared to have success right away. And, I mean, the the thing I always find fascinating is, like, you see a 19-4 and four season and you get so excited. 19-4 and four in a no-ad format is damn near impossible to duplicate. And I just think it's worth, like, saying... If Cooper's went 17 and 6, 17 and 7, playing in the top three this year, I still think that's a really good sophomore season for me at Cooper's, just for added perspective there. But again, like Morales, Cooper's, Stoyana, uh, Smetanikov all got real match play last year, and they're all coming back, and they're all going to be extraordinarily talented, but. That's not like that's not the only part of this core to get excited about. Then you look at the new additions, and let's start with the new addition we know from the college tennis universe. They get last year's number one singles player from Texas in Nicole Kieran to transfer over to College Station. She's going to be eligible to play right away this uh, spring, and you know again. Kieran was pretty damn good in her freshman season uh, for the Longhorns. You look at the sophomore from Israel, which she was able to accomplish last season. Of course, they don't have information available on the Texas A&M website, but you know she was one of the one of the wins leaders for Texas. I think she wins something like eighteen and six. I'll go look yeah, that up here it, in a second. Yeah, that I was about right. Say sixteen and six. It was definitely a lot of sixes, but yeah, it I felt like a six, and, something in six, a six yeah. in the loss column. I think that was right, and I remember thinking. That sounds right, and I think a lot of those losses could have come earlier in the season when we were playing indoors. I felt like she found her footing more towards the latter half of that season. Look, this was the Big 12 Player of the Year and Freshman of the Year. So she was fantastic for them coming in as a freshman. I think she came in in January too, didn't she? Mm-hmm. Uh, to play that, and it took her a little bit to acclimate. Very strange transfer. I mean, Texas to Texas A&M. You do not see that every day, but she's a very known quantity and, you know, she had a a fine fall, I would say. She beat players she should, like a Lily Jones of Michigan or an Annabelle Shue of Virginia. She lost to players you expect to see in upper parts of the lineup, but it was a fine fall, I would say, for her. But yeah, I mean, she's now an experienced player and should have everything under her feet ready to go. 16 and 6, exactly right for Nicole Karen. She won Thank eight you. of her last 10. <laughs> You guys didn't get to see the little dance Jay did as to say thank you. It was wonderful. Um, she won eight of her last 10. The two yeah. losses, ready for this? Dyschnei, Brantmeyer. Pretty good list. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that's a really good year for you, Nicole Kieran. And again, I say this with respect, Nicole. You ain't playing one. Like, that's Mary's spot. And yeah. by the way, she's number one in the country. Like, she should be playing number one. But that's both – that's a blessing. Like, for Nicole Kieran is, hey, you're not going to have the weight of the world on your shoulders. You're not going to be asked to be the gal on this team. You're going to be asked to be very good, certainly in a position that you've proven you should be able to have success in. But, like – 16 and 6 feels replicable. But dare I say even something she could improve upon, given perhaps where she might be playing in the lineup. So obviously that is a significant addition. But look, she might not even be the highest playing a new addition to this Texas A&M roster. Is obviously A&M able to land the big one, able to add at this year's Junior French Open finalist, Luciana Perez from Peru. And look, we haven't gotten to see Perez this fall, but junior French Open finalist, you have my attention. And certainly this A&M team, they don't have an indoor facility, excuse me. So, you know, they're going to be playing outdoors. I imagine if you're a junior French Open champion, you prefer a junior French Open finalist. You prefer, yeah, from Peru, you probably prefer that outdoor environment as well. I wonder if there was a conversation of like, should we slow down our courts? Like, can we call our sand guy (laughs) and see if we can get some new sand in there? Like, again, Kieran, Cooperus, uh, Kieran Cooperus, excuse me, Kieran Perez. Hot damn, Jay. That's a nice twosome to add to your core four. 
Yeah, the Perez thing was a little bit eclipsed with the Catherine Huey winning the U.S. Open and sure. going to Stanford. And we knew she was going to Stanford, but then she wins the U.S. Open. And so we have now a U.S. Open champion playing here. So the French Open finalists are like, oh, this feels a little passe, but <laughs> certainly an incredible uh, just testament to the I mean, she's ranked number three in the world. Right. So in testament and Diana Schneider is ranked two in the world. We're getting the best players in the world coming to college tennis. And thank you to these college coaches who are recruiting and pitching these players because it's very fun for us as fans. But it's really tough for me personally to gauge what her level is right now. We didn't see her in any collegiate events this fall. We saw her play on the ITF circuit. I didn't find anything really to glean from it in terms of where her level was. It's good, great player, but outstanding. Can she play two behind Stoyana? Like I don't have enough data right now on this. This is the one I'm most perplexed by. She's smaller in stature, clearly likes the clay. I expect to see her play a lot of positions this year. Mm -hmm. And look, again, you have some veterans, so you can afford to play her a little bit lower in the lineup. Again, if it's Stoyana, Kieran, Kupris, your one, two, three to start, and Perez isn't even asked to play four or yeah. anything higher than four to start the year, you can do that and not feel compromised in your top three if you're Texas A&M. You have that ability to work yep. the freshman along slowly. I do want to ask, because we've talked about like a, a pretty clear-cut six here. It is a bigger Texas A&M roster. I'm doing the match right now. They've got 13 different players listed on there. Now, again, not a ton of experience outside of the six we discussed. It might be worth mentioning a Sydney Fitch, who, for what it's worth, the fifth year did play number one for Air Force last season. And look, Air Force isn't knocking down the doors of SEC programs left and right, but like you play number one in a Division One school, you have my attention. Like, you are a player at the very least. You are certainly competent at this sport. And, you know, again, it's a lot of names we're familiar with Robbins, Pittman, and, you know, again, Ga uh, Gounder, players who we haven't seen play much at all. Is this team, like, very six defined in your mind, Jay? Do you think, you know, you've been saying it, beating this drum on a million podcasts. When's that final announcement coming that there's an extra addition to Texas AM because they do have another scholarship to play with? Are they too thin? Do you like the roster depth? Like, where are you beyond the six we've discussed? No, I don't like the roster depth. Mm -hmm. That's uh, your biggest concern? If this team wants to win a national championship, they are a, not just a player short. They are like a strong contributor short. Mm -hmm. And this six right now will not win an NCAA title. They absolutely need another player. And are you sure about that? positive i would take it to the grave <laughs> and I, I thought maybe there was a chance they could get carson brandstein to keep her eligibility she had more eligibility she could play again we got the salma ewing announcement like december 27th last year mm -hmm. so like i'm open to the possibility that there is more here yeah they need and like here's the difference we talked about oklahoma state only has seven scholarship players, right? But the thing is, is all seven of those players, like they have seven players that can could contribute. I Texas A&M, I don't think does. I think they really have six. The moment you go to a seven, that six, if you have to have their seven play six, I don't think that's cutting it. Yeah. And again, again the caliber is winning an NCAA title, not being like a top eight team. Uh, very true. Very, very true. I mean, again, this is a really good six. And even if you have to play a pilot or we'll say a Sydney Finch in a pinch, because I think that's who you'd turn to for seven and eight on this roster right now. Like, again, depending on where the injury is, depending on whom is missing in the lineup, I agree with you. They're going to be fine from a top eight perspective. They should still win the majority of their S. Well, I mean, again, it's a really good SEC this year. Very good SEC. Florida. Auburn, Vanderbilt, these teams that don't immediately jump off the page the way a Georgia would, obviously, uh, as the biggest challenger to Texas a Even in South Carolina with the talent they have at the exactly. top. Exactly. Hamner Ackley, you feel like you might be down 2-0 right away, facing the Gamecocks on the wrong day. Like, I mean, again, I liked morale. Like, I, I, 
yeah, I, I guess you are right. Like, I, I like, I don't love this team's option at six. That said, if Smetanikov's your five and there's any sort of progress from her, like, oh my God, could your top five be really, really, really good this year? But, yeah, I, I guess my biggest concern then would be th- uh, this. They might be a player short. Like, there is a little bit of drop off, even from. Is there a big drop off from Smetanikov at five to Morales at six, comparatively, you would say, to the field nationally? I don't think. I don't trust Smetanikov at five against yeah. these top eight teams. And I think Morales loses almost any match to a top eight number six right now. I'm trying to think of who those sixes are. Like, again, you'd give the lean North Carolina. You certainly would give the lean to Stanford. Probably give the lean to Georgia right now as well, just given the options they have down there. Massachurito at Michigan. Sure. Shout out Gala. You probably lean whomever the six option is, maybe even for Oklahoma State, just given from an experience perspective, it's going to be someone who has played higher in a lineup than maybe Morales has earlier in her career. Yeah, you've talked me into it. It's a very convincing argument. Well done by you, Jay. Now, it is worth noting as we discuss MVP, some of you will may remember in our last discussion, we talked doubles pairings and uh, doubles pairings as it related to Oklahoma State. And while this team does have some questions as it relates to doubles, I think Coach Weaver and Coach Zabo have kind of proven that, you know, again, are they the system at NC State? Maybe not. This team has typically been very good at doubles over the last few years. They've found some pairings. They've found some success. And, yeah, you have that option to beat, uh, bring back Stoyana Kupris. Certainly Smetanikov and Pilet played a lot of matches together at the end of last season. So there is some institutional know-how there. But I will say, you lose Ewing, you lose Goldsmith, you lose Brandstein. That's a lot of know-how from the doubles lineup, Jay. Is that the MVP? Is that the most significant point? Where are you looking in terms of the most value in this Texas A&M's lineup to determining their outcomes? Well, I already gave the pitch for Smetanikov, right? Because yeah. if she does make that leap, then <clears throat> you're fine. about six? Yeah, then like Morales being, you know... 16 fit- and six. That's the number well, that- of the pod. Well, that would be generous. No, because she's not going to finish. Because she's not going to finish matches. Like, the six will be important losses, but she's not going to be finishing because they'll be winning up Yeah, top. so it probably ends up being more like 12 and six. Okay, sure. Um, I'll accept that. But then you're like, okay, that's fine. Like, that's our weak spot in singles. But if we feel like we can roll out those five, that's great. Not only are those players that you listed experienced doubles players, they also all have weapons. Mm-hmm. And you now look at the makeup of this Texas A&M team, and it's a lot of players whose weapons don't really translate to doubles. You look at Kupris, Perez, Morales, Kieran, a lot of like, I mean, Kieran hits a really big ball from the baseline, but, you know, not a lot of volleyers, not a lot of big servers. I really do have questions about what they can turn out from a doubles perspective here. That to me is... I, it didn't jump off the page at a big question for me, but it's certainly on the list with if Smet- Smetanikov can make a jump and then doubles. See, I'm going to go the other way here. I, I mean, I, I think that's a very good argument. I'm just going to try a different one here. I'm going to go with that number four spot because, again, Stoyana is going to be number one. We know what we're getting from her. But whoever the third is of uh, of Kupris, Kieran, and Perez – on paper or by UTR, world tennis number, whatever metric you want to go with, that player's going to be favored a lot. And yeah. like, I think that player is going to be asked, dare I say, to put up JC Goldsmith type numbers where it's like, hey, we know four is going to be one of our points regardless of whom we're playing when healthy. And like, to me, that's the spot where they need to be dominating, by the way, right? Because the fourth player of that top four should be exceptionally good. And we've already talked about Smetanikov at five and the, the argument for that there. But I'm going to go with that number four spot. I think that's the spot that you need to see that 
eighteen and three season or something where they're again maybe it's a few less wins, but certainly fewer than five losses there. Like if they're struggling at four, if Perez is a slow burn in terms of her coming along in this college tennis universe, if Cooper's has a little bit of a sophomore slump or Kieran has a little bit of a sophomore slump, I think they'll feel it at that number four spot more than anything, a position where they would be expecting to have success. I think that's a a good point. It's like they need to lock that up. Yeah. Right. That that needs to be their log. And if not, then we're in trouble yeah. for sure. I'm operating under the assumption that they're going to find a way to make that top four really work and that that is going to be, you know, that can compete with any other top four in the country. Yeah. Plus, when they announce on December 29th that Linda Fruvertova is coming to give them five months, like and that's by the way, that's the name I keep tor- turning to Jay because she's like 18 years old. Like that's the the strike zone person. I don't I don't think it's going to be Ashlyn Kruger. I don't think like I'm thinking of the 18 year olds out there. Are they an Andriva sort of school? Oh, and, well, she's and, too young. <laughs> and Andri- no, I was talking Erica, not Mira. Oh. But that's funny. And no, again. If Russian, assume NC State. That's my operating assumption here because Simon has found a way to bring in so many talented players. Anyways, point is, um, yeah, like the other thing we've talked about as it relates to Texas A&M, and when I say we've talked about, I mean you've talked about, Jay, is it's not a team that's been particularly aggressive in scheduling uh, throughout the course of these past couple of years. And I don't know, like it does feel a little bit different. As you look at the schedule this season, maybe the reason it feels so different is because they're going to San Diego that opening weekend, and I don't know if these are hidden duels or real duels, but they've got San Diego January 13th, a team that, by the way, made the national indoors last year and has a lot of returners. That is a rock-solid top 25 roster, and then they play the big dogs, Stanford, January 14th in San Diego. Again, that is a real matchup. Now, you look at the kickoff weekend, they will be heavy favorites. They've got TCU. They've got Rice. And honestly, their toughest match might be their first-round match against a Northwestern program that still has a lot of frisky pieces, even if they're not your father's Northwestern. But after that, look, they've got Miami on the schedule. That's been a top-16 team. Baylor, Rice, SMU. Not great. Not Albaline Christian. Like, it, it, it's at least top 50 programs. I know SMU's got a lot of new faces. ACU catching strays on yeah. this pod. <laughs> it was just the first name that came to mind because Abilene Christian plays all the Texas schools. It's like A&M, Baylor, Texas, you name it. They get to test themselves against the best. Obviously, a full SEC schedule this year. And for what it's worth, the SEC tournament in Athens, Georgia. Uh, So that's worth noting at the end of the season. But they've got Auburn at home this year. They've got Vanderbilt at home this year. They're at Georgia for what it's worth, but Florida at home this year. South Carolina at home this year. Four of the big five are at home, Jay, as it relates to this SEC conference play. And again, they haven't lost an SEC regular season match in over two years. That trip to the McGill Center against Georgia... Just book your SEC red zone appearance now here at Cracked Rackets. We'll have that one for you whenever it happens. So clear your schedule. But inflection point-wise, matchup-wise, what are you looking to most closely as you look at AM's schedule? Well, you're right. We have given, or maybe I have given Texas A&M a hard time for <laughs> their lack of creativity in scheduling. But a large part of that has been that they've been able to rely on the strength of the SEC over the years. And that really hasn't been the case over the past few years, the depth just hasn't been there. And now when you look at this schedule, yeah, the out-of-conference stuff is not great. I love the Stanford match. I mean, hello, a rematch of the NCAA quarterfinal. Uh, so there's a lot of... First weekend. Rematch first of the weekend. Quarter, you know, and like, weekend. that is a fresh memory, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that just happened in May. So My schedule's open, by the way, so call me if you need a broadcaster. Looking forward to that. But now the SEC, you're like, wow, there's going to be a lot of ranked opportunities here, a lot of top 25 teams that you just listed off. So for me, while I'm excited about some of those early season matches and we'll get the they'll make it to indoors and we'll see how they do there. This is not an indoor team. Uh, For me, the inflection point will be Auburn. And that is April 12th. So it's late in the season. But either this Texas A&M team is going to be in a place to beat a what I believe will be a frisky and very talented Auburn team and solidify themselves as one of the best teams in the country, 
if they don't beat Auburn, their season's over. Because if they don't beat Auburn, they're not winning the SECs. And they're not certainly not winning the NCAAs, but they're probably not even making the NCAA semifinal, which is, of course, the first step that they're looking to take this year. So schedule that one. Mark it on your calendar because that's what I'm looking forward to. It's a good argument. I'm going to go right off the top of the SEC play. You get South Carolina, Florida at home opening weekend of the SEC regular season. That will tell me right away. What do we know about these A&M Aggies? How far has Luciana Perez come in those first two months of the season? And again, do they have their doubles lineup worked out? Do they have their options three, four, five, six? Who plays where? Because you need the depth against Florida. You need your depth to ex- – or again, let me rephrase that. Your depth needs to shine against South Carolina, and then you need Stoyana and Kieran to be like, look, Florida, you may have the depth that we have, but we're a little bit flashier up top as well. And so it's like we're going to get to see all aspects of the lineup pushed in that opening weekend of SCC play. For me, that'll tell me what I need to know right off the bat, Jay. Is it's like if it's two comfortable 4-0-4-1 victories, all right, Aggies are back in business. If they limp through that weekend, it's a major uh-oh given the depth in the conference. Are those the package weekend? It's the it's travel partners, March 1st, March 3rd. All right, you crushed that one. You sold me on that because you're so right. The different strengths between Florida and South Carolina where you look at Florida and you're like, they're going to have a ton of experience, four yeah. through six. South Carolina, the complete inverse. You're going to be tested up and down the lineup. Love that pick. Nailed it. That's going to tell us so much about all of these teams. And it happens in a single weekend. Fabulous. I'm going to take you all behind the glass here real quick. Jay and I haven't potted in now 18 years, as I alluded to on yesterday's show. Again, that's what we call a callback from a previous episode. We had a little gap in our schedule as holiday season, vacations, whatever it may be. We are so clearly in a honeymoon phase, my friend. Like just the compliments <laughs> are coming throughout the course of these two episodes. For what it's worth, we're recording Oklahoma State and A&M back to back here on the same day, even though it's being released different times. Again, you want to know how the sausage is made. That's how how? All right, I answered it perfectly. So then we'll go to the next one. Ceiling floor, Jay, as we wrap this show. And again, how do you know we're getting towards number one? Because we are nearing the hour mark. These episodes get longer. The conversations get more intense. Ceiling floor for this AM team in your mind. You know, it's really tough to feel like the f- like I, I feel like this podcast hasn't been as complimentary of Texas AM, but the reason they are number four is because They've had a lot of stuff thrown at them over the past two years, and they've found a way to be a quarterfinalist team back-to-back years. There is a level of trust and belief in this program that maybe we don't have in these other programs who haven't proven it yet or haven't proven it as recently. And so while I look at this roster, and I think there's more porous in this roster or this singles lineup than maybe some of the other lineups behind it, it's really hard to say that the floor is I mean, certainly any out of the top 16 is not really even in the question for me. Like that is where the floor would be, but you almost just feel like you pencil them in for quarterfinals. And then you say like, is this the year that they take that step forward? Because eventually it's coming, right? They could have done it in 2022. They could have done it in 2023. Had things gone differently. We've already alluded to that. I, I feel like the floor is quarterfinal like unless something goes wrong I feel like that's the floor here we did seven minutes on why Daria Smetanikov's one match at National Indoors proves she might be the best player in college tennis someday (laughs) that's plenty complimentary my friend is what I've tried to say I think we've buttered them up enough I called Mary the gal. Like we, There's been some butter here. I think I said Jordan's the best recruiter in the country. I'm just saying there's there was certainly some salted butter uh, offered to be lathered up for the Aggies. Yeah, you nailed it. Like This team is what's, – what's so funny is of the past three years, and I guess the 2022 Aggies came a little bit out of the blue for us in the sense that, yeah, we thought they might make a leap, but to see them go undefeated through the SEC season right. the way they did, I don't think any of us expected that. Last year, they certainly didn't catch us by surprise. This well, team we didn't have be- them in the top 10. Did we really? Know? But that's because we didn't know Selma. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. So like, yeah. So. Although, it, yeah, we, we've... Uh- 
we've we've already taken know. that out. Yeah. yeah, we've had that discussion, and yeah. I'm pretty sure they were my Auburn last year. My like plant the flag. I'm right about this team. Yeah, um, which I'm doing again for Auburn this season. That frisky group, as you called them, <laughs> listeners, didn't get to see my face as Jay was describing them. But I think some of those adjectives were just for my entertainment. Um, I actually don't. I don't know. Like roster wise, is this team as good as either the teams comparatively to the field that they've seen the last two years? Maybe not. And yeah, like, not right now on yes. December twenty seventh. We'll but see. Just, yeah, when they announce Brenda or Linda Fruvertover <laughs> on the 29th, then things change. But yeah, like I think expectations are probably highest for this group, and that's the burden of again rising from new blood to blue blood or trying to make that transition. And again. Last three years, round of 16, quarterfinals, quarterfinals. The standard has been set. I would be shocked if this team doesn't finish top eight. Um, That said, why is their floor lower than top eight? Because what if Vanderbilt is as good as advertised? What if Florida is as good as advertised? What if Auburn is as good as I think they might be? And then, of course, a team we haven't talked about yet. Oh, my God. You look at the Georgia roster, which I like to do like every three days as my litmus test of like, oh, my God, we've got some really good teams on the women's side this year. Like, SEC's back. It was one of our biggest storylines entering the season, and if you were to ask odds that this Texas A&M team goes undefeated in regular season play for a third straight year, you could probably get like five to one, six to one, seven to one odds, maybe even better than that. Now, again, four of the big five are at home, but they're at Georgia in the regular season. The SEC is going to be really good. They're going to be able to rank up, rack up ranked wins, which should, the floor is no lower than top 16. Like, even if there's an injury to Stoyana, I would still put this team as a top 16 team because you have someone in Kieran who has proven she can play the number one spot very, very successfully. Is the ceiling national championship? If Perez clicks, if Smetanikov takes a leap, I think we sell Jeanette Morales short in the sense that, no, she's not going to have the competitive advantage, but she'll put the two hours out there. Like, she will give her teammates time to pull away from their opponents while she continues to just grind away at six. (sighs) Yeah, I think the ceiling is national championship. I'm ready to go that way for the rest of these teams. Like, you know I'm a believer in these Aggies, and I really do want to say, like, what Mark... What Jordan have done over these past couple of seasons, like we're all ta- paying attention. They have, you know, they've taken the college tennis world, or they've put us all on notice. And you mentioned it. It's when, not if, they're going to take that next step and make their first semifinal as a group. It's certainly their preseason number four. So if you want to go that straight up, you could predict that we think that's going to happen this season. But more than anything else, I certainly believe these Texas A&M Aggies have the talent to beat anyone on any given day. Final word on all things A&M, go to you. So you know when you say that a team can win the NCAA championship, that they run through North Carolina. Yeah, and you have to think this team. <laughs> yeah. You think you think this team can beat North Carolina on a given day. Stoyana can win at one. Kieran can win at two. Like she is that good. The idea is Perez or whomever that four is going to be back to the MVP conversation is like they should be whether it's Ken Gillig or blah 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 or blah 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 or blah 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 for UNC. Um, like, they should have a shot there. And then, yeah, like, let's go full circle. What if we get a Dasha day? What if it's just one of those, like, <laughs> I do think, again, does everything have to fall into place? Absolutely. On the perfect day for a could I talk myself into them getting four points against UNC without getting laughed out of the room in individual matchups? I think you can. Okay. I mean, I want to ask that because that's the litmus test, for right? Sure. That's what you have to uh, go against. I can't talk myself into that right now for this Texas A&M squad. So for that purpose, I do think there is a pathway to being an NCAA finalist team. I could see that happening if the draw breaks right. For me, though, I think this team, NCAA semifinal, taking that first step post-quarterfinal, would be a bit a huge leap on honestly a team that I think is less talented than the team that they have rolled out in 2022 and 2023. 
I agree with that. I would also say, again, I think they can beat one of those teams in one match. Can they beat two of those tier one teams on consecutive days? I haven't seen that yet. That still needs to be proven. And again, if if this sport was just predictions, why would we need to roll out the balls? We could just be done with this season now. We got to roll out the balls. We got to watch some tennis, see how everyone competes. That said, folks, it is a really talented team in College Station, and certainly we look forward to watching the Aggies compete. Texas A&M, our preseason number four in our Crack Rackets Division One Women's Preseason Top Ten. With that said, Jay, again, look behind the curtain for our listeners. We've recorded back-to-back podcasts here tonight. That was a great f-ing night of podcasting, my friend. We we're back, and with that in mind, I know again you're not just on this podcast. You've got your own show now. No ad, no problem. I know you and Ethan talked about those dark horse teams, those ones that could surprise us in a recent episode as well, or honestly, that episode might have been 20 years ago at this point, but I know it's on the feed there somewhere. What else can we expect from you as we get ready for the start of 2024? Yeah, we're doing some men's content over there. I tried to break it up so we're not doing just the top 10 countdown. So we're doing teams to watch for better or worse. So teams that we expect to make a leap or step back. And then our next two episodes will be our contenders. So Mm -hmm. kind of the outsiders looking in. And then we have a favorites episode coming up. And then we'll do uh, a mailbag and predictions where we'll go... uh, which is what I listened to earlier to try and benchmark to see how poorly I perform. So that's exciting. And then, I mean, gosh, we're less than if we're a few weeks out, I'm going to be in person for the Texas Virginia match. So I'm excited for that. So we'll get some in-person content and preview that as well. So more stuff coming. You flying to Charlottesville? Well, it's in Austin. So that would be a mistake flying to Austin. Yes. Wow, Jay, you are going on, on the ground beat reporter. We're going on the road a little bit more. You know, last year we did Seattle and we always do NCAAs. But this year we're doing Austin. We're doing Seattle. That that Texas A&M Georgia match on the women's side. I might be there. Might have Jay, to make a trip to Athens. This is the perks of celebrity status, my friend, is that you get to show up at these campuses and they're going to open the doors for you. They're going to say, it's John J. Parsons, everyone. Let's welcome him into our uh, facility. with well, celebrity status uh, means they're paying for flights and accommodations, <laughs> and that is not happening, to be very clear. But uh, I certainly am happy to cover that on my own to enjoy this sport we love in college tennis. My friend, that's not celebrity status. That's employment status. That means you're working. <laughs> yeah. that's, so it's slightly different. But yes, again, um, that's awesome to hear. And it's going to benefit all of us, certainly. And I like that I'm thinking about your trips in terms of benefits of me. That's how you know you're back, my friend. But I love to hear that you're going to be on the ground watching all this action. And certainly, again, I'm looking forward to this. Um, It's time to roll out the tennis balls. I think Chris said it perfectly. I was like, how do you feel? And my friend, he goes, I hate this time. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I can taste it. I can see it. I've got my website primed and ready to enter results. And I just got nothing to work with right now. And so, yeah. We're ready for the college tennis season to begin, that said. In the meantime, we will continue to preview our top 10 teams each and every week until we arrive at our preseason number ones. That said, again, that's it for number four. Texas A&M entering the 2024 season. Again, if you've missed any of our other previews, all you got to do, scroll down on your Great Shot podcast feed. A shout out and thank you as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the but any job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. That said, any final thoughts, Jay? You ready to wrap tonight's show? No, let's wrap. All right, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>